Turn in your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and while you're doing that, I have in my hand here a card that uh, the church has received from Bill and Penny Young, and uh, I'd like to read it into our hearing. It says this, To our wonderful church family, we are deeply appreciative of our wonderful church family. There are no words to express our gratitude and support during our time of sorrow. Love you all who came for support and to fix the meal for afterward. We love you in Christ, Bill and Penny Young. So thank you for that very much. Appreciate that. And uh, it was an honor to be there. And please remember the Young family in prayer, not just these folks here in the time of sorrow, but the greater Young family. When I was there yesterday, I was able to learn that some of their family members know Christ and some do not. So pray that uh, the rest of those young family members will come to a place where they'll see their need for Jesus Christ. We're not turning here, but it's a verse found in Philippians 4.4. I I want you in, as I said, Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be going to verse 17 and 18. Uh, As you know, it's a prison epistle. Paul is in the Huskow. And people complain about the the shape of, uh, you know, jails or prisons now. They'd be like staying at the Conrad Hilton compared to what was back in the Roman Empire. So, but even though in spite of that, in Philippians 4.4, Paul talked about the idea that no matter what he faced, no matter what circumstance, Paul still wrote the letter and he said this, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. So, again I say rejoice. I've noticed here, and I'm sure you have, and I think it's true of all Christian congregations, We have in our congregation right now a lot of us who are hurting. There's problems, there's illness, there's circumstances, uh, times of trials, time of testing, times of pain. And although we didn't ask for them and they're not pleasant, it's not surprising. This has always been. I, I think that honestly, God who perfectly knows our human condition knows that when he permits things to come into our lives, like I said, we didn't ask for them, they're not pleasant, they're not, they're not what we would like, but that makes us more dependent. It, it brings us more into a situation where God says, I know even my children, they will be coming to me more and looking to me more and trusting in me more if everything is not going their way. Uh, so it is true. It is true. I've, I know that's true in my life, and I'll just say it real quickly. As you, in there in Hebrews, that statement I heard one time, the stars are very beautiful, but they only come out at night. And so I think there's times we could all say, some of the sweetest time I've had in devotions and praying and pre- sensing the presence of my Savior have been in times of need. Um, several weeks ago, our sister Cassie uh, did special music And the theme of the song was that though there be suffering and we don't always understand, we have these feelings that we don't understand, yet in our faith we know that our Heavenly Father is is perfect in His ways and what He does, and He knows what is best. And I thought that is very, very appropriate. That is so very, very true. Um, Many times that happens. And we also know that if we want to talk about the greatest example 
of whoever faced trials, faced difficulties, had big-time problems, and yet always showed a dependency on his heavenly Father is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to pick up the speed, so I hope you got your fast ears on. And in the time that we have, I just want to kind of walk through some situations in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then for us to think, you know what, if Jesus faced a lot more than I do, then if he always was looking to his Father, then we can also. So first of all, I ask you to turn the example of our Lord Jesus Christ to there in Hebrews chapter 2, and then we're going to go over to chapter 4. Uh, look right there with me, as I said, verses 17 and 18 at the end of the chapter. Speaking about Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So Jesus had a body preferred, prepared for him. He became human. He's the God-man. And a lot of that, so that he could say, is that he knew what we go through. And we pick that up again over here in chapter 4. Uh, the same idea here in Hebrews, the last two verses again, 15 and 16. The author says once again about Jesus being the great high priest. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We cannot say as believers, well, you know, there's God up there, up in heaven, he's who he is, and he doesn't understand what I go through. He I'm, I'm a human being, and therefore, you know, God just doesn't understand what I'm going through. Well, that's not true. He knows exactly what we're going through. As a matter of fact, I would say that because Jesus is God and he faced all these things, he who knew no sin became sin for us, it was much more difficult, much more of a test, much more of a trial to face all these things. And yet he did it with a, a perfect faith. So here we go. That's the start of it. Let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. I'm just going to kind of go through the, the life at different points. Luke chapter 2 and verse... 41 to 49, this is the situation where you read about Jesus is a boy of about 12. He's gone with uh, mom and dad, Joseph and Mary. He's gone down to Jerusalem for what we would probably believe is his bar mitzvah, means the son of the covenant. So now he's going to not have his sins kind of in a covenantal way under his uh, mom and dad, but now he's a man. And for the, uh, the girls of that age, they went through a bat mitzvah again when they became of age. I think it was also, if you want to talk about in life too, that it was the idea not only just becoming a man or becoming a woman, but they had reached the age where not only were they children, but they in marriage could have children themselves and bring other uh, Jews in under the covenant. So I'm going to look here right now. We're in Luke chapter 2, and I just want to read 
verses uh, 41 through 49. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? You know you're feeling kind of nervous uh, when you've been given charge of the Messiah and you've lost God. All right. This is not good. (laughs) You know, we better go find him. And they did. But you think about what I read here between the lines is they were poor people. They made this trip from Nazareth, you know, down to Jerusalem. I don't know what it actually would have cost, but again, I'm sure they went economy class the whole way. And Joseph has that business up there. You know, he's a carpenter, and of course, he's uh, training Jesus uh, to work in that line of work. And so it's sort of like they get, they're headed home, and they're thinking like, wow, we need to get home. Uh, we need to be making some money. You know, we've, we've got this carpentry shop. That's the, uh, you know, the Jesus' father. That's the family business. And now we come down here and we think how irresponsible. Isn't he sensitive to the fact? He knows we don't have a lot of money. He knows we're going to be heading back home. And and yet here he is down here. And it's kind of like Mary like saying, you know, don't you know, Jesus, how irresponsible. You're really worried. Don't you know, Joseph, your father, needs to get home so we can get back to the family business. And he said, what you have to understand. I, I really think the reason why this is in here, not just the bar mitzvah. But I think at this time, God the Father was more revealing and speaking to his son about truly who he is and what is going to be said and what he's going to read. And when he reads these passages about all the agony and the suffering, think about a boy even of that age realizing this is talking about me. That'd be quite a lot to carry. But he says, Mom, Dad, you don't understand. I, I now I know who I am. And I understand that Joseph is my father. That's who he represents. And I understand that he's got that carpenter shop up there in Nazareth. But now I understand that I'm in the temple because I must be about my real father's business. And I think you've heard this. It's interesting that Jesus was trained to be a carpenter. You've heard this because Jesus in the end did his very best work with wood. And we know what we mean by that. So even at that age, Jesus was saying, whatever I'm going to face in life, I know this. My life principle, my core, my essence, my heart, is that all into my future. He's 12 now. He's going to start his public ministry when he's about 30. But he says this, everything I do, everything I think, everything I say, whatever is going to be about Jesus of Nazareth, It's going to be my relationship, my belief, and my trust 
in my father's business. That's good advice for us. Because you and I, we can get busy in all kinds of things. But I hope when you look at our core, at our essence, at our heart, what makes us really tick, all these other things are just, okay, hobbies or making some money or pay, but it is, but that's not who we are. What defines us in our heart, we are servants of the living God, and our life is to be surrendered daily to the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be who we truly are. That's our priority. Now, next then, we're going to move ahead. That's when he's 12. Let's go to the beginning of this ministry. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Say it one more time. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. So from what I just read in Luke 2, zip, we go 18 years into the future. You're there with me. And once again, the last, last two verses of the chapter, verses 16 and 17. So now this is the beginning of his public ministry. It says in verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven said, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So right from the beginning of his public ministry, the Father looks in the Son and he sees that his Son's desire is always to serve and to be about the Father's business. And we understand ultimately what the Father's business is going to be, because he'll say, for the, uh, for the Son of God has come into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what the ultimate business is going to come down to. And I don't really think when you see these words, I am well pleased, I don't think he means it this way. I don't think God is saying like, yep, so far I'm well pleased with him. Up to today, you know, we'll have to see what happens, but so far it looks pretty good. No, I think he is saying in a, in a totality sense, this is my beloved son in whom from the moment of the conception to his birth through all this time in Nazareth and now into his public ministry because I know what the business is. He knows who he is and we know that I can be well pleased in him for the purpose why I sent him into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. If he doesn't complete the mission, that, and that verse is worthless, so much worthless, not even written. <laughs> Mark chapter 1, verse 35. One book over, Mark 1, 35. I'm sure this was true his entire life, but now in his public ministry. I remember the very first time I read this, I was convicted. I'm not here to throw stones because I live in a glass house. But I will say this, I hope we all have a daily devotional time with the Lord. I hope we do that. Because it's so important before you face the world every day that you spend some time reading the Word and having a bit of prayer time with your Savior so that you're ready spiritually for what the world's going to throw at you on every single day. All right. And that's why we come here. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 35. It says this, And in the morning... Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed.
prayed. That was his priority. Jesus Christ every day was busy. I don't think he had any problem at night. He says, the Son of Man does not any, anywhere, any place to rest his head. But I think every day when Jesus finally rested his head, I don't think he tossed and turned very much. I think he was exhausted. And yet it says here, even before that, writhing up a great while before day, he went out and departed and prayed. That says, to be about the Father's business and to say, Father, I want to make sure that I know what you want me to do today. You understand in all the miracles that Jesus uh, performed, we read about. There are others, but I hope you know and have heard that even though he is God himself, it says when the that he set aside, he set those things aside. So every day, if there was going to be a time when he was going to perform some supernatural, miraculous work, he always had to be told that the father said, Son, this is what I want you to do in this situation. Always in submission. Always making sure that what he was doing is to please his father. So, those of us who are facing times, troubling times, illness, situation, circumstances, all stuff that's not pleasant, all stuff that you didn't ask for, all this stuff is like, ay, 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 ay. And, we, and you know, we make requests unto God. But I ask you one thing. In these situations, in these circumstances that we all face, before we face that day, have we done, are we doing what Jesus did every day? Now, maybe you've heard this and it's true. He did it in the morning time. That's me. I get up in the morning, and uh, Bible in one hand, four quarts of coffee in the other, and I'm having devotion times. It doesn't matter what time of the day. Maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe you're someone who says, you know, I'm more of a night owl. It's better for me to have my devotions at night. That doesn't matter. But have them. He shows us the example. Let's go to John 71. Now we go from the beginning of his ministry. Now we're coming to the whole reason why he's been sent. Especially with the public ministry for the last three to the last three and a half years. We're in John 17, 1. This is the night before the crucifixion. It's known as the upper room, the upper room prayer. So all of this and then you're turning there in John 17. You understand that ever since Adam and Eve sinned, which would have been a minimum of 4,000 years, everything for 4,000 years has been pointing and headed in the direction of John 17. And after he ascended, I would say in the year 30, everything from the year 30 to the year 2023 points back to that day. Everything came. Everything came in and zeroed in on that one day. And that's why when Jesus is going to begin this in John 17, look over here with me in, in just that first verse. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. Well, why do that? Because he's about his father's business. 
Because everything he faces, everything he does, every thought he thinks, every word he says, it's always, it's always with his responsibility, his work and his mission and his love to obey the will of the Father. Did you look up today? Have I looked up today? Before I'm looking this way or that way or looking down, isn't there a principle here that Jesus says, you know, it's come to this. What's the next thing I need to do? I need to look up and touch with my Father. Look at here. He lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I love this, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son may also glorify thee. Um, I don't know how many of you like history or don't like history, especially maybe some of the younger people. But uh, I was hearing somebody talking, maybe it was, can't remember who it was here recently. But how many, if I say to you, anybody know what Operation Overlord was? Anybody? Operation Overlord. All right, we got some mystery people. We know it more popularly as D-Day, June 6, 1944. Operation Overlord. For years now, American troops and equipment and uh, tanks and all kinds of naval vessels, amphibious, uh, a, a fleet. Finally, when this thing took off that crossed the English Channel, there was 5,000 vessels. And it was for the purpose of the liberation of Europe. And again, this had been decided, oh, way back earlier, over a year. They had originally wanted to set the date for May the 1st, but the weather uh, wouldn't allow that. But you can just imagine, all over England and every place there, they are training and they are training, and they are training, and they're doing mock-up, and they're doing rehearsals, they're doing all these things. But now it is the early morning, the ships are there off the coast of Normandy by a place called Omaha and a place called Utah. The soldiers are going over the sides, they're going down the rope ladders, they're getting into the landing craft, and now they're headed towards the choppy waves, they got the ramp there, and they're heading to the beach. And all of a sudden you hear explosions and here comes artillery shells, and you get closer, they're hearing the rat-tat-tat of German machine guns, and they're in there, and they're saying, this isn't training anymore, this isn't rehearsal, this isn't a mock-up, this is it. The hour has come, that ramp's going to come down, and out we're going to go, and it's on. Jesus. Do you realize this is the night, in this very night, when Judas will leave this is the night when Judas, if you read it, is taken over and possessed by Satan himself. You know, Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be one place at one time. And on this night, Satan says, there's no other place I'd rather be than possessing Judas Iscariot. And Jesus is talking to the Father, and he says, Father, Father, the hour has come. Even my own chief apostle is going to betray me tomorrow morning, or not betray, deny going to deny me tomorrow morning. Let's go over to 1811. This day is coming, 1811. He leaves that place of the upper room. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's in the situation here after the soldiers come, 
And Peter wants to take matters into his own hands and defend his Savior. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword under the sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? I don't want to stretch this, but I want to tell you something. The Lord Jesus, you realize this night in the garden, we read about it, where Jesus, knowing the agony, he's, he's thought about it, he's, 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 he knows what's going to happen, and now he said the hour has come. And when he's praying, he falls down, and he says those words, Father, is there any way, isn't there some other way, is there any way that this cup this thing that's going to happen to me tomorrow, isn't there any other way your will can be done? And we realize from what happens in those passages that the, the son knows through the father, and he says, no, son. And so that's what he says here. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, all of us have cups given to us by God at times, and they're cups that you look at them and you say, Wow, is there any way, isn't there a detour around this? Isn't there some other way? But there's not. It's there. And even though Jesus said that at the end, later on, he says, okay, I've, let's go up and go on our way. What happens? What happens if Jesus says to the Father, is there any way uh, I could get out of this? We understand what happens, but I'm just trying to say is theoretically, you know, just... What happened? Are we here? Is this building here? Do we have the New Testament? Do we have any of this? If Jesus said, I really don't want to do this, and the Father says, well, okay, I, I, plan B, they all go to hell. There is no church. There is no salvation. You're the sin bearer. I sent you into the world to do this, to do the Father's will, and you've been, you've been doing it. So far, you've been well-pleasing to me, but at this point, when the hour has come, You've changed your mind. Now, I'm just saying we know none of that happened. But I'm glad the only way we can talk about it is me just to speculate about it. Because it didn't happen. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, you get there, there, uh, verses 5 through 7. When we were back there in the garden just a moment ago, I was talking about that. You remember that it says in that passage there that the agony was so great. Doctors will tell us what, little capillaries or something were bursting, and he sweat drops of blood. We'll never know. The agony that we went through in the garden will never be able to... And here's the thing. It hadn't even happened yet. All this was happening and he was in absolute terror and agony and everything just at thinking about it. Now I want to ask you a question. We're here in Hebrews chapter 10. When Jesus heard the Father say to him, when he came up out of the water with John the Baptist... This is my beloved son. This is my son that I love. I love him with a perfect love. I love him so much, and he does everything. I I am well pleased with him. Wow, what a wonderful thing for the father to say of the son. 
And yet there is that time on the cross when noon hits and for those three hours when, as it is, God turns his back on him. God takes all the sin of all time and he hurls it on him. And you know the statement. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I don't think in that moment Jesus was feeling the love of the Father. He wasn't. He couldn't. If he's going to pay for all the sins of all time on the cross, then the Father who said from eternity past, I love my Son, at that moment, God the Father abandoned his Son, turned his back on his Son, and instead of offering him the love, took his own wrath that he had against sin. I'll just say it, but to talk about it doesn't mean anything compared to the one it happened to. Just hurled that on him. And he was crushed. Absolutely crushed. He wasn't feeling the love, not, not at all. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, look at verses 5 through 7. He had this body prepared for him. Verse 7, 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Why did the Father have no pleasure in those kind of sacrifices? Because they, they didn't solve the problem. They didn't pay for the sin. They did not vindicate the holiness of God. Only when it says... Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, that I would be that sacrificial lamb, that son of God, who would taketh away the sin of the world. I want to tell you something. Is there anything we're going to face in our life that's illness, sadness, hardness, whatever? Is there anything you and I are going to face that are even going to be the little finger of what he went through that day? All of our problems all put together wouldn't touch what he went through that day. Now finally, looking very quickly at these clothing verses, let's just go, as I see the time, let's just very go, Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Just everything about under the heading of the one who went through so much Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, according to the will of his Father, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now in verse 9, we're going to see the other side of it in these other verses. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every other name. So let's just go to this final verse. In the same book of, uh, go back to the book of Hebrews. This is our last verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. We come now to the conclusion of the whole mission. You're with me now, Hebrews 12 and verse 2 where all of us are reminded as, as he is our perfect example of when we have a bad hair day. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
enjoyed the cross, delighting in the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did I just read the word of God right there? Not, not a bit. He could see the end of the tunnel. Let's read it one more time. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, he realized that everything he was doing under the direction and pleasing the will of his Father, he had the joy because he knew what the result was going to be. He knew that the result was going to be that submitting to the will of his Father, that secured victory over the way of wickedness and supplied a way of salvation. So, That was the joy that was set before him. But what it really said here, endured the cross, despising the shame. That's hanging nude on the cross. They always have a little loincloth on the Lord. No, he was was hanging there in the altogether, which in the Jewish belief, nakedness was an absolute shameful thing. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. To set down in the presence of God means that he is satisfied, he is pleased, And you have a right to be seated and set in his presence. I don't think I've said anything that you haven't heard before tonight, but just a reminder for all of us, because what some of you are facing today, maybe some of the rest of us will face next year, next week, I don't know. We none of us all face the same thing exactly the same at the same time. But I would just close with this. Whatever it comes, whatever it is, instead of looking over there or looking over there. Or walking around with your head down like, oh, woe is me. Look up and say, you know what? Father, the Lord Jesus Christ took hell for me. And he's been put into glory and seated at your right hand. Because everything you gave him to do, Father, he did it willingly. Even though he didn't enjoy it, but he did it because he knew it was the right thing to do. Brothers and sisters, please, let us all remember, when these things come along, don't, let's not do woe is me, but let's say trust in him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here tonight. Whether it's losing someone you love through death, whether it's someone who you love facing a major illness, loss of a job, maybe who knows what, fill in the blank, something that we were not expected to do, some calamity, some tragedy, some disaster. That's what the world would call it. But may we say, oh yes, yes, the world will call that an obstacle. But I've read about my Lord Jesus Christ. I know about the will of the Father. And what the world calls an obstacle, obstacle, I see it as an opportunity to just trust in my Lord. And if you ask me what I'm going to do, I'm going to rejoice. And again, I will say to you, I will rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming tonight. God bless you, and uh, take care till we see each other again. We are dismissed.